There's a spirit in our land raising up a kind of man with a burning in his heart to be free. Like the preacher man of old, he can't be bought, he can't be sold. What did they preach? They preached liberty to a people who love their liberty. Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights granted them at the time of their birth. The right to speak their arms and pray, worship God on land and say, from that law we will keep our people free. They called the king into accounting for his disregard of law Told their people not to yield before his threats For God established rulers to protect the rights of man And ordained government to fit into his plan To maintain his people's liberty time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God on land and say, from that law we will keep our people free, through the jewelry we'll guard our liberty. Such preacher men today to show our people the way to redeem their lost liberty. The fires of hell cannot prevail against one man who'll take a stand from the pulpit, exposed tyranny, and teach his people liberty. Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights, granted them time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God on land and say, from that law we will keep our people free, through the jewelry we'll guard our liberty, liberty to exercise all their God-given rights, granted them at the time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God not guilty we choose to acquit the state was wrong to charge him this law is not fit for a people who love their liberty for a people who will die for liberty ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Voice of Liberty. This is Rick Tyler, thanking you for tuning in and welcoming you to the broadcast today. I want to begin with a verse of scripture, Ephesians six twelve specifically. This passage, of course, tells us who it is that we're really fighting. It says, for we wrestle not 
against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's interesting that in the contemporary church, or what passes for it in our nation and in our world today, there's probably very little real understanding of this passage and what it conveys. Because the people of our land today who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ, they are a people who are largely oblivious to the realities of what is taking place and transpiring in the real, tangible world around them, especially when it comes to understanding the intricacies, the specifics, and the nuances of what goes on in the realm of the machinations of the forces that control governance in our world and in our nation today. There is a great illusion, of course, that is routinely perpetrated upon the people. An illusion that that things are as they seem on the surface. People are led to believe, and this false belief is reinforced by all, all manner of sophisticated propaganda. They are led to believe that that everything is basically on an even keel, that life is more or less what you see is what you get in terms of its proportions and dimensions. People are led to believe that a rather simplistic structure governs the affairs of men. Now, of course, when you peel back the proverbial layers of the onion, or when you go down the proverbial rabbit hole, you find out that, in reality, the precise opposite is true in terms of this notion that is perpetrated and foisted upon the people of the land today. Of course, we're talking about human psychology, the desire to travel down the path of least resistance, the desire to incur as little hostility and opposition and conflict in life as might be possible. And those who are masters of human psychology, who understand the inherent weakness of man, of desiring creature comforts and desiring to avoid any and every semblance of hardship and difficulty that can possibly avoid it. For those who understand this psychology, it is quite easy for them to build and construct a paradigm or a perspective of reality that caters to this desire, this weakness of man. Now, Patrick Henry was a man who in his time wanted to know the truth. Despite the implications, despite the hardships that might be incurred by possessing a full-spectrum knowledge of the truth. Patrick Henry, nevertheless, wanted to know. He was desirous of knowing the whole truth so that he might deal properly and effectively with it. Remember, it was Patrick Henry in his famous and renowned speech 
He said, gentlemen, cry peace, peace, but there is no peace. He said, our brethren are in the field. Why stand you there idle? And then, of course, he went on to say, is life so dear or peace so sweet to be purchased at the chain's of slavery. And then, of course, he said, forbid it, Almighty God. He said, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Give me liberty or give me death. That was the, the credo. That was the philosophy. That was the outlook of none other than Patrick Henry. And, of course, he sought to puncture that that bubble of illusion that his fellow countrymen were in the grip of to a substantial degree when he said, gentlemen, cry peace, peace, but there is no peace. And likewise today, if we look out in the world around us, across the landscape of the American nation and other Western countries in particular, we might be inclined or tempted to deduce that, that there is peace. But in reality, there is no peace. Our brethren are already in the field. In other words, there are those who are already paying an enormous price in the battle for liberty, in the battle for truth. Now, there are nuggets of truth. There are rich veins of truth that are at our fingertips, ready to be accessed, ready to be mined, ready to be harvested at any time. But most people choose to put blinders on. They choose to voluntarily have tunnel vision and not look with piercing insight into what is really going on. Now, the clues are everywhere. The old saying, truth is hiding in the open, is very much applicable and relevant for the time we're living in right now. Now, we have reached a point, obviously, of very sophisticated brainwashing that is being levied against our people. But just as you can only con a greedy person, you can only propagandize and deceive people who are readily disposed to reject the truth. And getting back to our passage of Scripture that we began with, we are told by the Apostle Paul that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, it seems like that's what we're wrestling against, flesh and blood. He said, though, rather, but instead it's against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. What was Paul talking about there? Well, I submit to you he was talking about forces, entities, beings, if you will, that actually live and exist on a different dimensional plane than what we are confined to and relegated to. But they possess the ability to move back and forth through some type of portal, or portals plural, to step into our dimensional realm and interface directly with humanity. 
Now, Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And then, of course, it goes on to say that the things that are revealed are for us and for our children, that we might, might do all the, the words or works of this law. Deuteronomy 29, 29, a very key, pivotal, foundational passage, because we want to avoid doing what many people in the truth movement have done throughout the decades and throughout the generations, and that's to succumb to a neo-Gnosticism type approach of being so desirous of the things that haven't been revealed to us that we find ourselves spinning our wheels in a sphere of inquiry where we really haven't been given not only the bare-bones facts by our God, by His choice, but furthermore, we really don't have the ability to process that information anyways. And besides, if we are wanting to be good stewards of the things that are revealed to us, which, by the way, it takes more than a lifetime to even begin to scratch the surface of mastering the things that have been revealed alone, if we want to be good stewards of the things that have been revealed, we really don't have time to get bogged down in the things that have not been revealed other than to just simply acknowledge the general inferences that are made by Scripture and by extra-biblical truth and putting that information in its appropriate category. We know, according to this passage of Scripture that we're focused on, that it isn't flesh and blood that we're really fighting against, although it certainly is. On the, the immediate uh, level of conflict, it is flesh and blood. When that tyrannical uh, banging on the door happens at 3 a.m. under a communistic system and people are hauled out and dragged down the stairs and stuffed into some type of, of uh, vehicle and taken off to a concentration camp never to be seen again, that is flesh and blood that you are dealing with. And likewise, on the literal battlefield of conflict, we are engaged against flesh and blood, wielding the sword, or in a contemporary sense, uh, the weapons of the day that might be required to fend off or repel a literal assault, a murderous assault upon us. But what we are to understand, according to the words of this passage, is that the architect that is pulling the strings behind those flesh and blood powers is of a spiritual essence and composition. Yes, it is principalities. It is powers. It is the rulers of the darkness of this world who are not corporeal, who are not human, but instead are part of that other realm of beings that exist that the Scripture does allude to and tell us a certain amount about. I'm speaking of, of those uh, entities or beings that have been called angels. The fallen ones, of course, are referred to in other ways. And, of course, there is one, Lucifer himself, Satan, the devil. Now, there has evolved a caricature of Satan and the devil in contemporary uh, iconography and also uh, in theatrical performances and in literature that is just that. It's a caricature. It is a being that basically is in a red suit, 
has a pitchfork, has horns, etc., etc. Uh, many are old enough to remember the the entertainment persona back in the old days of a TV program called Laugh-In, and there was a TV persona named Flip Wilson. And Flip Wilson was a black comedian, and his signature line when he played a particular character uh, that he would uh, basically impersonate or that he would portray, he would say, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And of course, that caricature of the red-suited, pitchfork-carrying, horned devil, that is the caricature that often is prominent in people's minds when they ascribe and attribute to the devil, Satan, Lucifer, etc., when they ascribe and attribute to him a direct cause behind their own failures and misbehavior. I like to point out to people that very often uh, Satan doesn't have to lift a finger because our people do all of his work for him. He, of course, we are told in Scripture, is the father of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. Remember in John chapter 8, when our Messiah addressed his arch enemies, and they said, we be not born of fornication, Abraham is our father. And he said, if Abraham was your father, you would do the works of Abraham, but you are of your father, the devil. And he said, the lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth. And when he speaketh a lie, he said he speaketh of his own, because he is a liar and the father of lies, the father of it. Yes, that is the crux of the matter, that the spiritual uh, wickedness that is in high places, the rulers of the darkness of this world, that wickedness and those rulers are members of this other this other realm of beings that are not human. They are not part of mankind. But instead, they are these depraved, deranged, deluded, and diabolical beings who have an overarching agenda that they are hell-bent, literally, on pursuing that they might wreak havoc along the way of this unfolding of time to serve their leader, their master, who is Satan, who is Lucifer, who is the devil, not the caricature. Now, just because we can look at the the caricature and we can scoff at that, that doesn't mean that we are not to take very, very seriously the reality of this satanic, Luciferian, demonic force which has developed ultra sophisticated mechanisms to deceive and mislead the the people of this earth, the nations of this earth, and specifically God's anointed and chosen people, those who are the true manifestation of Israel in the world today. This Lucifer, this Satan that I'm talking about, he has a counterfeit for everything. He has counterfeit scripture. He has a counterfeit chosen people. Yes, there are counterfeits for everything that are essentially his handiwork. 
And while we don't want to give him credit where it is not owing and attributable to him, at the same time, we don't want to underestimate his prowess, his capability. Now, of course, we know that, that the Scripture tells us relative to angels that, that they do possess what we would call supernatural powers. In other words, they transcend the ordinary, normal powers that we are capable of wielding on a purely human level. But at the same time, at the same time, we have a status, we have the favor of God in a way that they do not enjoy. Even those who did not follow the rebellion that was led against the throne of God. Even the good angels, so to speak, who did not revolt. Uh, we still have a calling and a speciality of our relationship with our Creator that they don't possess. And in fact, we are told at places in Scripture that, that certain aspects of our conduct are very important in terms of us setting the right example for the angels that did not take place uh, or take rather part in rebellion against the throne of God. So again, without getting into too complicated of a theological discourse, suffice it to say that we are up against these evil powers, these wicked powers, just as Patrick Henry was in his day. He and his countrymen may have been engaged in a conflict against the Redcoats and King George III, but just as it is the case today, so was it then that they were really fighting against, against those, once again, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, we have a lot more uh, very, very direct and unmistakable evidence of the uh, operational presence of these powers in and around us and amongst us today. In some respects, the boldness of the enemy is indicative of and it's reflective of the fact that there is brimming overconfidence on the part of the dark side. They feel more at ease in terms of revealing aspects of their agenda now because I guess uh, to put it in uh, contemporary terminology, they believe that they, they have things sewn up. They've got it in the bag. They've got it on ice, to use these various cliches. And they're not too terribly worried at this point, contrary to what some people in the truth movement try to say. They're not too terribly worried about any type of effective resistance being marshaled against them that might prevail over the successful attainment of their diabolical goals. And of course, that word diabol diabolical, uh, it is a derivative of the word diablos. It actually uh, directly links in to the name of Satan himself. So when we talk about diabolical actions on the part of men, we are basically using a term that is synonymous with Lucifer or Satan himself. Now, of course, Lucifer was his name uh, before uh, his odious and his hideous conduct that caused him to become what he presently is and will remain until such time as the sovereign God of this universe relegates him to the status of eternal uh, torment and damnation and destruction. There is no turning back for Satan. Apparently, we can conclude that from the theology that is revealed to us. He can't all of a sudden have an epiphany and his own road to Damascus experience and suddenly 
realize uh, what a bad uh, former archangel he's been and uh, turn around and you know lead people back in the, the pathway of righteousness. That's not an option for him and his foot soldiers that do his bidding uh, in the, uh, the spiritual sense. But again, once again, to look at this verse, we must understand that the evidences that surround us are very profound and very meaningful. We need to incorporate this into our own worldview and our own body of understanding so that we will know how to fight this battle against these malevolent forces that we are pitted against. In the nation's capital itself, which of course has its own degree of elegance and grandeur and splendid appearance, but in that capital, just beneath the surface, lurking just barely beneath the surface, is abundant evidence of who really is in control. Of course, nobody can do anything without God allowing it, and that includes Satan and all of his minions and all of his agents and foot soldiers, but God is giving him a long leash to operate on and is allowing him, via the laws of cause and effect, to fill the vacuum that is left by our people when they reject the God of the fathers and of our fathers and it's and the truth of that God, that God of Scripture. And so in the nation's capital itself, we have all manner of evidence as to the Luciferian underpinnings that are constituting the mechanism of control there today. I would recommend that everybody go back to the archives uh, and ferret out and dig out the documentary done a number of years ago called D.C. Street Sorcery and watch that and, and look at the evidences of the conscious, premeditated, calculated sorcery and very, very evil plotting and planning that went into the very architecture of much of what we recognize in an iconic sense as the key features of the nation's capital. One of the very obvious ones being the Washington Monument, 555 feet above ground, 111 below ground, 666. Yes, there is this fixation on six and triple six especially. And this is not by accident and it's not fun and games either on the part of the enemy, whereby they would be saying, hey, let's use all of these sixes just to play mind games with the peons, with the sheeple, with those that we are lording it over. No, there is an esoteric dimension that is very real and very vivid as a cornerstone component of the enemy's game plan. And they are ceaselessly, ceaselessly and continuously rendering evidence of that esoteric component of their agenda. And of course, we know that they actually do horrific things undercover and behind the scenes, ritual human sacrifices and things of that nature. There is no measuring stick that is adequate to calculate the depravity of this force that we're up against. And we need to understand that as well because they are capable of levels and degrees of inhumanity and wickedness that the human mind, the ordinary human mind, has great difficulty processing or comprehending. But we must understand all of this as part of the preparation for fighting the battle that we are up against. Now, I find it interesting that that among those who are longtime 
uh, proponents of and, and participants in and actually leading forces in the effort to dispense and propagate truth among our people, life-saving, soul-saving truth, that even amongst those people, there is coming forth today a level of sobriety and a level of awe and astonishment at how the enemy is operating in broad daylight and perpetrating such massive fraud and massive evil against humanity. I have heard it stated by, again, very, very long-term, storied, experienced voices of truth coming across even these very uh, airwaves, if you will, a state of astonishment and amazement at what is being done routinely at this present time by the forces of evil, commenting, these individuals on the air, commenting on how grim and how frightening and horrifying it is to acknowledge and recognize the level of audacity that marks the present actions of the enemies of truth and the enemies of liberty and the enemies of everything that our God represents and stands for. There are even vignettes and, and snippets and stories being told of, of phone calls being received and an unidentified voice ordering certain individuals to not archive a particular program that apparently has crossed the line in terms of revealing truth to the point where the enemy says that specific program we do not want accessible and available to the listening public. And of course, when someone who has great experience, decades of experience, receives a call like that, and of course, maybe on the surface, according to their testimony, uh, considers it to be just a bluff, but then all of a sudden, all of their phone lines go dead and remain dead for the rest of the program. That, of course, is indicative of a new level of seriousness that the battle for truth has been ratcheted up to. And so it's interesting to observe what's going on within our own realm of truth-telling, within our own movement. On the one hand, we are in such a target-rich environment right now. Surrounding us 360 degrees is abundant and profound evidence of what we have been trying to tell people for decades and decades. What used to be so difficult to get people to see now is readily observable. And of course, as a result of this openness and this boldness of the enemy, which again reveals just how cocksure and self-confident they are. But as a result of this, we have a much easier time now of getting people to see and understand truth. And in fact, the ranks of what we would call truth seekers uh, happen to be increasing commensurate with this phenomenon of the enemy operating more and more and more in the open. Now, of course, we shouldn't get too excited or enthused about this factor because there's a reason for everything that the bad guys do, that the forces of evil do. There's a reason that undergirds their actions. They don't often shoot from the hip in terms of the policies that emanate from on high within their evil empire. And so the fact that they are making it more and more easy for people to see truth and then begin to undergo some semblance of conversion or 
awakening to the truth, that tells us that they are wanting to be able to identify who it is that will need to be liquidated and purged in the days ahead. It has been talked about on the airwaves, bandying about uh, great quantities of truth here in recent weeks. It has been commented upon that even the Trump phenomenon itself has in large part been, been reflective of this desire on the part of the enemy to flush the birds out of the clover, so to speak, to get people identified. And of course, today they have the benefit of technology such as software that recognizes people's face. This is one way that they have identified many of the people who participated in the events of January 6th in the nation's capital. But even all of the Trump rallies all over the nation, and it was pointed out also in, on the airwaves uh, yesterday of, of truth-telling uh, parties, it was pointed out that, that Trump, the political figure, Donald Trump, has held more political rallies in years where there is no election, no campaign going on, or maybe even just midterm elections where he's holding rallies on behalf of other people. But Trump has held more rallies, and of course he does it better than any of his predecessors or his contemporaries, but he has held more rallies than any other president. And of course people have gravitated to Trump in what basically boils down to a personality cult, Trump, of course, possesses that charisma, that style, that bare knuckles, brash, uh, bold style that is so winsome and attracts so many people. And of course, as a result, there are legions of followers of Donald Trump who have flocked to his events, often willing to travel across multiple state lines to get to a Trump rally and be a part of that energy, that excitement, that enthusiasm. Yes, Trump is a master of his craft. In fact, if I were writing the script, if I were wanting to raise up a figure who would be able to have the magnetism and attract the masses of people who had the right instincts who wanted to follow the truth, if I was wanting to have a figure with sufficient charisma to draw those people into a tight-knit arena, literally or figuratively speaking, Trump would be the man that I would choose for that role. And for those who are most cynical and believe that Donald Trump is totally and completely knowing and complicit as controlled opposition, uh, it certainly makes sense that he would be the man chosen for that role. It's interesting how the enemy, part of their undergirding uh, rules of engagement, necessitates that they show their hand on some level in order to further legitimize and justify the way they are exploiting humanity. And so their uh, entertainment vehicles, such as Hollywood and uh, the production of, of television fare in the past, and now, of course, television is being uh, somewhat supplanted by uh, the online uh, vehicles of entertainment, such as Netflix and the others uh, like them. They feel it necessary to play their hand or show their hand 
on some level as part of their warped psychology that they operate under. And so we can even go back into uh, the annals of relatively recent history and and we can look at made-for-TV productions that aired in the past, such as a, a movie, a made-for-TV movie entitled The Brotherhood of the Bell. The Brotherhood of the Bell. No hardcore truth, per se, but nevertheless, a revelatory piece that showed a method whereby young, up-and-coming individuals could be grafted into a fraternal-type organizational experience that would, in turn, assure that, that the skids would be greased for them on their path to success, worldly wealth, and everything that goes with it. This movie, The Brotherhood of the Bell, made-for-TV movie starring Glenn Ford, depicted just such a scenario. Of course, later on, we know there were uh, movies such as Skull and Bones of a similar nature. But of course, Skull and Bones actually incorporated the name of a real uh, fraternal organization, Skull and Bones, which uh, very household names, uh, very much household name type individuals, the Bushes in particular, Prescott, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, and George W. Bush, all have been members of Skull and Bones. But in the Brotherhood of the Bell, it was less vivid in its portrayal of, of being Luciferian, but the implications were obviously there. And in Brotherhood of the Bell, it depicted this scenario whereby people were elevated to prominence and wealth and fortune, but they were required to perform according to orders or dictates at a future point in time when they were given their assignment. And so in that Brotherhood of the Bell fashion, it certainly would fit, the shoe would fit, that as time unfolded in our present era, that the day would come when the the evil forces, the controlling forces, would deem that the time had arrived to ratchet things up to the present level. But as part of that plan, as part of the taking down of America, it would be necessary to draw together all of the like-minded people and prepare them for the purge or for the liquidation. Now, we know in communist takeovers of nations all throughout modern history that this is part of the protocol. This is part of the process. The liquidation of a certain number, a certain percentage of the public that have proven themselves to be beyond being able to be, quote-unquote, re-educated. We know that re-education camps are part of the modality through which communist takeovers operate. Those who can be re-educated, manipulated into compliance, once it is revealed to them, the new rules of the game, and they can either uh, choose to live and ab abide by those rules or they can uh, be subjected to torture, punishment, and ultimately death. So they have to separate the men from the boys, as the saying goes. And so Donald Trump would certainly be an ideal candidate, having been co-opted long ago by the global banking cartel on his road to becoming the so-called blue-collar billionaire, Donald Trump obviously had to cut deals along the way. We would be utterly naive to not recognize and understand that. Now, of course, there is a not very naive overarching characteristic that typifies the modern church world. And so as Trump's ascendancy was ongoing, there was an ever-present cadre 
of evangelical type uh, Bible-believing, so-called Bible-believing ministers and ministries that were rallying around him who were utterly convinced that he was God's man for the hour, that he was someone that God had raised up to provide relief for the Christians and to, in effect, serve as their champion, their protector against the forces of evil. This idea or notion, of course, was enunciated by many prominent evangelical figures. Jerry Falwell Jr., in fact, even made an analogy to his father's era of prominence in the political realm and his father's acceptance of an endorsement of Ronald Reagan. Even though Reagan was a product of Hollywood, Reagan was a man that had been divorced and remarried. In other words, he wasn't the ideal shining star embodiment of or example of Christian virtue. But of course, by today's standards, Reagan uh, you know, was very, very much more akin to righteous standards. But to know the truth about Reagan, about what he really was all about, his true history, his true progression to, to prominence in the presidency, when one knows all of that, one is not as easily duped by the notion that Jerry Falwell Sr. advanced at the time, that Reagan was God's man, basically, uh, to be elevated to power for the benefit of Christians as well as the nation as a whole. Jerry Falwell Jr. made the same statement or he advanced the same premise and notion about Donald Trump. He drew that direct analogy uh, to uh, what his father had done relative to Ronald Reagan. And many other evangelicals have surrounded Trump. They have held prayer with him. Many have claimed that that Trump has had a conversion experience, that he's a baby Christian, etc., etc. Now, the fact of the matter is, however, that Trump continues and has continued along the way while on one level doing things that that make us rejoice and make us very pleased in terms of uh, disassociating America with some of the more despicable international treaties and programs and and pumping life back into the energy uh, industry and making America energy independent, all of the virtues that are extolled routinely uh, by Trump's proponents and advocates. But at the same time, as I've pointed out previously in this broadcast, doing that, which is overtly playing right into the hands of the satanic globalist system, especially when it comes to the matters of the pandemic, so-called. Trump has played right along with that and failed during his presidency to take the steps that were easily within his grasp and reach if things were really as they seemed, if he really was sitting in the Oval Office as the legitimate, autonomous, independent decision-making president that people believed him to be. There are many of us uh, who lean more towards a cynical outlook and believe that since the advent of what is now being called the deep state, we used to call it the shadow government or other names such as that, but there are many among us, I'm sure many listening to my voice, who, who believe and recognize that for a very, very long time that elected presidents have really been nothing more than a mouthpiece or a figurehead. And of course, we have historical events such as the assassination of JFK, which in a nutshell encapsulate the reality that a president can be 
killed, can be murdered by a very elaborate and sophisticated plan, conspiracy, if you will, uh, conspiring going on on the part of powerful, well-connected forces. A president can be killed. And then the crime, the crime of the killing, the murdering, the assassination of a president can be completely swept under the rug. And then an utterly bogus and false narrative can be advanced as to how it supposedly happened, the Lee Harvey Oswald phenomenon. And those who, of course, are aware of these historical realities can extrapolate and conclude that, well, if they could do that to JFK, is there any president that they could not do that to? And the answer, of course, is a resounding no. There's, there's nobody who would be immune from or insulated from, or protected from that very fate if the deep state powers decide to take the president out, literally terminate, snuff out his life. Now, the one exception to this, and this is something that the forces of evil themselves don't fully comprehend, or if they do, they live in denial about this reality or they just live in dread of it ever happening. And that is the the very biblical truth, the very biblical phenomenon that can be embodied in this statement. If everybody in the world wants you dead and God wants you alive, you will be alive. And conversely, if everybody in the world wants you alive and God wants you dead, you will be dead. The sovereign creator of this universe has the power to obliterate anything and everything whenever he so chooses. And that includes those who would be considered and recognized as the most powerful personages walking the face of the earth. It's in the news today that the billionaires have increased their wealth by $1.1 trillion during the course of the pandemic. They are very powerful, are they not? And yet, if God so chose... He could instantaneously cause the likes of Bezos, Gates, Buffett, etc., all of these individuals, Soros, he could cause them all to drop in their tracks immediately. God Almighty can do that. And sometimes, historically speaking, sometimes he actually does take such actions in the unfolding and in the ebb and flow of the affairs of men. And so we must keep that in mind because that is our ultimate secret weapon, if you will. If we are walking in the truth, if we are walking in relative obedience to the law and to the the rules and regulations stipulated biblically by our God, by the God of our fathers, by the God of Israel, if we are walking in that truth, then we have an impenetrable armor about us. And if we don that armor, the weapons of our warfare, we are told in the same book of Ephesians that we have read out of already today, we are told that that the armor of God is sufficient to protect us and empower us, including, of course, that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, it is imperative as we 
as we move forward in seeking to carry out our marching orders as the servants of the living God, as the keepers of the flame of truth, as we seek to carry out our marching orders, it is imperative that we have a firm handle on and understanding of the precepts and principles that I am talking about. It is imperative. We cannot even remotely hope to achieve any semblance of victory in the battles that lay before us if we are not walking in the favor of our God, the God of our fathers. And so this is the bedrock cornerstone reality that we must plant our feet firmly and squarely upon. And I would encourage everybody to turn in repentance back to the word of God. We must have genuine revival in the land. Many people don't know it, but there was significant revival going on in the colonies prior to 1776. And without that revival, it is very doubtful that there would have been the successful results achieved by our forefathers in the absence, again, of that revival. And so today we must emulate uh, the actions of our forebears when they understood that it requires repentance, it requires humility, it requires turning from our wicked ways if we are to hope to incur and possess and avail ourselves of the divine favor of Almighty God. Yes, the odious structures and organizations that the enemies of truth operate through They are orchestrated by, they are controlled by, they are directed by the very forces that we're reading about in Ephesians 6.12. And it is these forces that we are wrestling against, these principalities and powers, these rulers of the darkness of this world, that we are working against these uh, forces of spiritual wickedness in high places, in the highest of places. And we must understand this and move forward with this recognition, if we are to effectively fight in the trenches and serve effectively as the foot soldiers of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Now, John 10.10, of course, is the passage of Scripture that tells us that the thief cometh not but for to kill and to destroy. But Christ then said, I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The abundant life is what we certainly want. Our God told our ancestors in the past, even in a time of captivity, that he wanted them in the, in the book of Jeremiah to plant crops, to build houses, to give their daughters in marriage. Back in those times, thousands of years ago, he certainly wants us to do the same today. He wants us to carry on with the basic ingredients of life that we might continue to take dominion and position ourselves to be able to take dominion in the future, when the foes that we make war against in the holy war sense, in the spiritual sense, when they fall under the weight of their own treacherous and wicked deceitfulness. And of course, we have to get specific in many ways about about how we will carry forth. We must understand that looking looking at things from a, a battle perspective, You know, when men go to West Point to study the art of warfare, there is a science to military warfare. There is a science to understanding how to wage war 
and carry out battles, not only on the literal battlefield, God forbid that it should come to that, but in terms of the information war, in terms of dealing with the propaganda onslaught of the enemies of truth. All of this must be incorporated into our sphere of knowledge and understanding that we might be the most effective warriors for truth that God would have us to be. We must be tactical in our approach. We must be uh, strategizing every step of the way, while again carrying on the basic fundamentals of life, the rudiments of life, the things that sometimes seem mundane and boring in contrast to studying all of the aspects and the levels and dimensions of the conspiratorial forces that we are up against. Yes, there is a fascination that, that inevitably evolves with studying the machinations of the enemy because very often we can observe that they leave nothing to chance. We can learn a lot from our enemies, but at the same time, we must be very cautious and circumspect to not in any way become like our enemies as we fight against them. Well, I would like to shift gears a little bit and talk about the practical realm of doing what we need to do in order to fight a proper and viable battle against this enemy. You know, it's ironic, but it's true that if you are willing to die for what you believe in, very often you won't have to die for it. In other words, peace through strength. The willingness to lay your life down will often excuse you from the necessity of laying your life down. Now, that's not to say that that martyrdom uh, somehow ceases to exist. It is true, the observation that was made by our forefathers in 1776, that the tree of liberty must be watered with the blood of martyrs and with the blood of tyrants. But that is the absolute last resort scenario. The pen is mightier than the sword. It is a fact, it is true, that those who live by the sword die by the sword. In other words, if the sword is your first option that you immediately gravitate toward, then you will die by the sword. And of course, our Savior warned us of that. There has to be equilibrium and balance in everything. Everything must be done decently and in order. But I submit to you that part of our game plan must of necessity incorporate establishing a prototype. I believe it should be at the county level. At the county level. It's interesting too on the airwaves, the very airwaves that that we are coming across right now, that yesterday it was talked about on a program, the fact that counties can secede. Yes, a county can secede. It doesn't have to be an entire state. It can be a single county. And I believe that that could very well be the prototype of choice of choice, for showing our people what can be done. A legitimate geopolitical subdivision, well-established according to the, the precepts that God has ordained through our constitutional governance in America today, that a county could actually secede and show forth in prototypical fashion what can actually be accomplished when a people are willing to do like the forefathers did of America, pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, and when they are willing to do that which is 
enunciated and elucidated in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. What if God chose to allow a people, a grouping of his servants, taking these steps at the county level? What if he allowed them to become a sufficient political force to be reckoned with where they were able to elect county commissioners who reflected a penchant for and a devotion to truth and a sheriff who could stand in the gap in this duly constituted constitutional office of sheriff? What if there was a sheriff who would stand in biblical fashion, rallying the people together as a law enforcement protective security type official? deputizing all of the able-bodied men of the county, marshalling the people in the ready, prepared for whatever might come. That could very well be what God would be looking for in order to unleash his miraculous power like he did in the book of Exodus. And when the God of Scripture unleashes his power, believe you me, no cumulative grouping of earthly power can even remotely hold a candle to the power and the strength and the might of the God of Scripture. Now, I submit to you that that without that power that we read about in Scripture, we don't have the proverbial snowball's chance in the lake of fire. Without that power, we are just whistling in the dark. Now, I'm not saying we sit back and let God do everything. No, it's always required by God that the Gideons, that they follow their marching orders and do what is required of them preparatory to the unleashing of God's miraculous and divine power. And we very much can relate to Gideon in our time because Gideon was not prideful. Gideon didn't say to God, oh, I was waiting for you to come, God, when God referred to him as a mighty man of valor. Instead, Gideon, of course, in his time, he was humble and basically had the who me type reaction. Well, my friends, I'd like to give you an address you can write to us at. It's P.O. Box 274, P.O. Box 274, Etowah, E-T-O-W-A-H, Tennessee, 37331. Or you can call us at 423-241-7902. Or email us at voiceofliberty1776 at gmail.com. We thank you for tuning in today and look forward to being with you in the days ahead and look forward to seeing the miraculous power of our God working in our midst. And until our next broadcast, we would ask for God's blessing, his protection, his empowerment, and his enlightenment to be manifested in your life in a very, very significant way. Until then, goodbye. This is Rick Tyler saying farewell. We need such preacher men today to show our people the way to redeem their lost liberty. The fires of hell cannot prevail against one man who'll take a stand from the pulpit, exposed tyranny, and teach his people liberty. Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights, right to at the time.